Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Origin Story, where we dive into how your favorite YouTubers got started and how they grew their channels. I'm Mike, and JP is once again on vacation this week, but he will be back next week. This week, though, we are joined by Dave Erickson, and I'm super excited for this episode. So Dave, welcome to the show. Mike, it's an honor to be asked questions, because I'm usually the guy who asks the questions or does the recording or does the uh, editing. So it's nice to be on the other side and I appreciate your time and, and your efforts and what you're doing. Now I'm really excited. I think this uh, the story that you have about getting to YouTube will be a really interesting perspective that we haven't had on this as well as for the, the listeners. Um, Dave is the first person that we've had on the channel who has multiple channels and almost, I mean, you're like, couple hundred people away from two channels over a hundred thousand subscribers so we'll get there and so for those who don't know dave dave is the man behind the channel every man driver a channel focused on giving his viewers a practical car review which is super weird because it makes so much sense everyone is talking way over so many people's heads you do it in a very very concise manner and that makes sense because he has 15 years of tv and or TV news anchor and reporter, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry, uh, experience. Wow, brain fart right there. And it's very apparent in your videos, not only the production value, but also your screen presence. And so, however, it's he's not just your source for car reviews. He's also the host of the Endurance Hour, which is a health and fitness channel and podcast. Dave has been an athlete his whole life and has completed five Ironman distance triathlons and achieved a black belt in Taekwondo. And that's only some of his athletic accolades, which we'll talk about on the show today. Off camera, Dave is a father of two and enjoys the beautiful state of Washington where he currently resides and was so close to being born there. Just a river in between, right? And so his channel is home to over 300,000 subscribers, closer to 450,000 subscribers when you pull everyone into all of the channels he's um, a part of. And he has over 2,000 videos on a single channel, and his 2,000 videos have been watched over 100 million times. That's pretty amazing to hear. So make sure you check out his channels and his car finder tool, or car deal finder tool. I thought that was really, really cool to have on your website because it can save you money on both a used and a new car. And right now, it's a good time to kind of look at both, I think. So we'll kind of talk about that. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really, really excited to talk about your past, present, and future and how you got started on YouTube. It's definitely a unique skill set that I know when we did our pre-talk a few weeks ago, you only recognize it when you connect the dots after the fact. I wouldn't have, I didn't plan this career line or trajectory. It happened, but it happened um, successfully because of the steps I took along the way. And I didn't recognize what those steps were uh, until you look back at it. And that's, I think that's a perspective anyone will look at. Like, why am I where I am now? What did I do to position myself to be good at what I'm doing now? And I, I really do feel... I have an unfair advantage over almost everybody in the world of uh, car reviews. And again, it's not by design, it's just by circumstances. I started making videos in high school as an option. It was a humanities class. I was in 10th grade and the uh, student, the teacher said, all right, we're gonna have uh, three options for a presentation. You can do an oral presentation, written presentation or video presentation. And my eyes lit up, what video? Because I've been fascinated with 
the movie making process since uh, I guess since Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and I just was and when we had HBO when cable first came out and you got these behind the scenes and how the movies were made and like ooh special effects and you see people on top of cars and doing stunts and I thought I want to do something like that so it sounds strange I borrowed my grandmother who happened to be who happens to be very young so my grandmother's uh, it was a Panasonic VHS camcorder handheld where you put an actual VHS tape in it to record. <laughs> yeah. And I started making uh, adventure videos in high school. And I used that camcorder to do this video presentation in high school. And it was the same class. This is the ironic thing. And I, I wrote notes because I was like recapping my, my, my line of history here. There was a news anchor in the Portland, Oregon area who came to our class, that same humanities class named Jeff Gianola with the ABC affiliate. He came to our class and talked about TV news. I don't remember much about it, but I remember him and knowing he was a local TV celebrity. I end up working side by side with that guy on the anchor desk for live snow coverage. I forget what year it was, 2002, 2003, five hours straight side by side with the Jeff Gianola. He's the main anchor guy at the ABC. And it was, so, he ended up moving to CBS. That's where I worked at in Portland. So I'm working side by side by a guy who came to our high school class and it was that kind of giving back or sharing, I guess, maybe kind of what we're doing now. If you have someone come to your school and, and talk about career day and, and like now people want to do YouTube as a career because it is a career option. I'm sitting next to this guy as a television news anchor at a top 25 news market in Portland, Oregon, my hometown of Portland, Oregon. And, you know, it's not lost on me on how special that is and how rare that is. And it was all because of um, of high school. Like, hey, you guys want to do a video project? Yes. Hand goes up. I get my buddies involved. Let's make a video. And um, and that set me on the course of making movies, making videos, getting behind the scenes, and then understanding that behind the scenes is really what has helped me. I think uh, understand what the end user will end up seeing because I know what goes into it. I know what the user will want to see, and then I can pre pre uh, produce it then I get the lucky chance of being able to be on camera. And that was through my other experiences, like being a TV news reporter and anchor. Yeah. And, and you can tell with the presence that you have on screen is just, it's so refined. Uh, unlike what I did in your intro and I apologize, you know, <laughs> you you have such good presence and, and stature within it. And it, it shows within your videos and that's the years that you spent having to be in front of a camera and so i want to ask one question about the humanities class what was the project that you made what was the video i got it it was it was well i entitled it because i was big in movies i love movies and i would I'd watch movies every weekend back when we go to the was a blockbuster or wherever and get hollywood video and get videotapes and come back home well i made a video and i called it what i think law enforcement will be like in the future that's what the title was and i was my mind i was thinking okay i can use all these sci-fi movies like robocop terminator uh, and those kind of things. And I used video clips from those movies as uh, like, here's what I think it'll be. So we had intros of our buddies in the AV department green room on camera, reading a really silly script. And, you know, we're all like, you know, 10th graders, 11th graders reading these things. And then, um, in fact, I think one of my friends didn't even, wasn't even part of the production, but he was part of our group. So he did an introduction and I made a video of my friend and we called it big pig back then, you know, cause cops were pigs. We just call them pigs. <laughs> I know it's, un, it's, not, it's not politically correct now, but it was called big pig. And our buddy, Dave, he wore a motorcycle helmet, drove down to his cul-de-sac and uh, he gets a little, we thought, you know, 
they've got a call into his helmet and he taps his helmet and he goes, you know, I got something going on. He goes onto his wristwatch, which was actually nothing. And then he had a snow glove on like a snowboarding glove. He opens it up, taps it, presses a button, which I put no, no real button. I made him disappear. This is part of my special effects. It was more like it's a jump cut. Really? He was there. I said, step out of the shot. I'll re-record, and you're gone. And he ends up inside the house. And what he's doing is basically he's, he is a robbery in progress. And this futuristic cop goes in and apprehends the guy, takes him away. And that's what law enforcement would be like in the future. You can't escape the big pig. It was really stupid, but it's high school, late 80s. That was the idea. Well, you, you got something going there because, you know, now you can really almost tap your helmet and you could have probably an AirPod or something connected. You have a watch that is giving you somewhat of an information um, Jetsons. Yeah, you're getting somewhere there. And so, you know, uh, weirdly enough, I think somewhere I, I just was listening to another podcast about, uh, and they were talking about blockbuster video. And I think the last remaining blockbuster video or Hollywood video, one of the two, is in mm. Oregon. So you're not too far. Well, now you're a little further, but where you are now. Yeah, but, uh, I've heard that. I've so that. Uh, would it doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me there. And so, um, you graduate high school and you have this passion for for video. That right. was it was it as apparent then or did it kind of start to grow like the production side of it after college? No, no, I was still making videos. I just didn't have a place to uh, show them or mm -hmm. share them because there's obviously there's no Internet in the late 80s or early 90s to share these things. But I was still involved in my area with its coaching, um, going to school. And then one day someone mentioned, hey, there's a a production company doing educational content within the school district. And there's a lot of schools in the district. It's a big district and it's called homework helpline. And what they do is they three nights a week, they have a live production, one hour live show where they have a host, a tutor and kids call in for homework questions. Math was a big po a topic of popularity and say, Hey, I, how do you do this math problem? And we'd have high school students or college students answer elementary kids uh, how to do these questions. They do them live on TV. So I was like, oh, someone said, hey, you're always, you know, coming to schools, you're, you want to use our editing equipment, maybe you should be a part of this. So I got in, it was, you know, minimum wage, which was like five bucks back then. And I said, oh, wow, this is so cool. Got lights, cameras, there's a, a control room, there's people on camera, there's you know, a different element outside in the library. And it's like, okay, cool, I want to do this. So I started running the camera just in the studio to understand how a television production works. Very, you know, low budget, kind of low budget. And uh, it went live on TV in a, uh, what do you call it? Like access channel. Like a public so, access. Yeah. Public access. Yeah. So I got involved in that. And from there, uh, I got really interested. It was a, a natural for me. I understood how it worked. And slowly but surely, I kind of moved around in different positions. And then I got on camera as a tutor. And then I got on camera as a host. And it was really natural again. And then eventually after the first season, uh, I got called back for the second season. It was, I mean, it's easy to get called back because... They're look, look, looking for cheap labor. <laughs> and um, I end up being the producer of the show. So I was make, you know, organizing the rundown of the program, uh, hiring people, getting topics, because we had three top three shows. I want to have a theme or a topic per show in addition to the staff. And from there, uh, I got really good on camera. More and more, more experience on camera. And then eventually someone said, uh, I don't know how it worked out, but I got an internship at the local TV station because I was getting close to graduating from high, from college. Okay. It's like, oh, the, you know, the clock's ticking. Um, I need to get an intern, a different internship to get more experience. And so I got an internship at a local TV station, which ended up 
being a non-TV news-related internship, which after a little while turned into a TV news internship. And from there, I was in that world of TV news. And then it continued on from there. And so that public broadcasting kind of job in college where you were a tutor, a, ho a host, a producer, you really learned yeah. the whole background of, uh, from a budget standpoint, the how a, how a TV station works, how an individual show works. And, and how, how did that, did that just drive you to like want more into the industry or, or was it, you know, what, which, which of those facets did you like the most? Like the production, the producer side, the host side? Which one did you like draw draw to? It gave me ideas. Uh, it gave me the, uh, there were so many possibilities of, of how to put something together and how I could be creative and original. And I started making, not skits, but uh, pre-production, uh, pre-produced segments we put within the show. And some of it was like, supposed to be comedy, you know, you, you meet a tutor, you talk about a topic, you know, that was different. And then you bring it on a show. So it was the idea of like, how can we bring all these elements or how do all these elements work together for a presentation? And some of it was live, some of it was pre-produced, some of it was taped, there was editing elements, there was graphics using other people and understanding what B-roll was. And uh, yeah. all of that came together as, oh, I can do this, I can do that. And then the more equipment you see, the more options, the wireless microphones. We don't think we had wireless microphones back then. We just had, we were, we were wired to the desk. And so or we, we were wired directly to the camera. So you didn't have a lot of flexibility on how far you can go with things, which now I have wireless cameras, wireless microphones for my iPhone. You yeah, know, I can yeah. do a lot of things now. So it just gave me more ideas and got my creative juices flowing back then of like, what can I do? How can I make this fun? And it was all just the trying new ideas. It's very interesting too, that like you kind of did that in college and mm -hmm. then after college you got your internship and so when was the first time that you went from intern to being on camera as either, you know, behind a desk or live reporting in the field? When, when was the first time you got that opportunity? Well, I remember uh, in that internship at the uh, ABC affiliate, uh, that's where Jeff Gianola actually worked prior to moving over to CBS. I got the internship there and I remember trying, you could run your own teleprompter and I'd never read a teleprompter before. And this is probably uh, 94 five or so and in the newsroom they had a, like you know, live in the newsroom we go to so-and-so they had a teleprompter and a camera at a certain spot you stand in a box and you can run the, the prompter or at least start it for yourself and i remember like asking can i practice reading this and then record it so i can look back and see how i'm doing so i, I would practice doing that there and then i would have uh an example like what we used to call a resume tape and i see myself on camera and i was terrible everyone should be terrible <laughs> the first time reading words especially if you didn't write them. These are just old news scripts that I could take from the rundown and pop into an, you know, story A, B, C, and D, and I just read them in order. Um, and it was just like, you was deer in the headlights, reading the words, words, and there's no, no inflection, there's no emotion. And so it was just the practice. And I joke with anyone, my wife, my family, or friends, I've got my 10,000 hours in, which again, is one of those unfair advantages to people starting out at YouTube or starting out on camera, which I know is so intimidating for people to me now, it's no big deal. It's like, I'm ready, or I can see what the story or the video is going to be before I shoot it. And I don't have to write things down because it's in my head or I know based on the experience, okay, it should look like this. I need my intro. I need my outro. I need some bridges in the between. I need a demo here. 
I need some B-roll there. Okay, I got a package. We, we, call, we call them packages, PKGs. We call them packages that are standalone videos, and that's what we do on YouTube. But a package in TV news is live intro. All right, Dave Erickson's in the field. Hey, Dave, what's the story here? Okay, I'm live on you know Fifth Street, and this just happened. Let's, I wouldn't say let's go to the video, but and go. And so they roll a package, which is a contained version of your story that day. So now I see that before it's done. Okay. It makes yeah, it does. It does. And, and it, it seems like the skills that you learn throughout, you know, being in the field are very similar to what you need to produce a very good YouTube video, right? You have to have a script, you have to have your intro, you have to have your outro, you have to have that kind of live personality where you're showing, you know, in uh, the yeah. first couple of videos that you have, you're coming around the car, you're doing kind of things like that, where you, mm -hmm. that's your, that's all the, the pieces and you're building a package. And instead of selling, sending it to your affiliate for them to review, <laughs> you're just posting it on the internet. And so, um, yeah, so, so you, you not only are just becoming, you know, part of these affiliates and growing through that industry, but you got some amazing opportunities to go to like, you know, Iraq, Haiti, Mexico, you know, on solo assignments, which is really cool. Which one of those was your favorite? And it's gotta be kind of intimidating to go to like Iraq, depending on the timeline. Um, so how did you deal with that one, especially? Before I get to that one, so after the after I used that resume tape to get my first job, uh, actually the internship, my second internship got my first job in the Tri Cities of, of Washington State. Okay, and it's because I knew someone who knew the news news director, and I, I was holding off on my graduation. I still had I graduated, but I didn't uh, apply for graduation. So I'm like a six year senior waiting to graduate because I'm holding off because I need more experience. Uh, with these internships, you can't have an internship if you're not in college. Okay. Yeah, so I have to. So I'm holding off, and so I go to this in TV station as a real internship, not the TV station in Portland, which is too big for me. And I go there because it's a small feeder market. It's a very, very small market. And I get there, and I'm just like doing errands. I'm going out with reporters, seeing how they do things, learning how scripts, how the whole thing works. And then I got a job there, which then I apply for my graduation. So I do a job there, and then I'm really learning the ropes of going live and writing my own scripts and learning how to go back and forth between a news anchor. And then I get another job based on my experience. I'm, I'm, I'm gathering these, these, all this footage as a news anchor, news reporter, and then making resume tapes to get the next job, to get the next job. And that was all, it was all about is the climb to get to the next job. And I didn't, don't know how far I was going to go. It's like, let's make a resume, go to the next job. Before I get to the, the Iraq thing, my first day on the job in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, I didn't even meet the news anchors. My first day on the job, I got a helicopter ride to a flooded area south of Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana. And it was like, oh my gosh, my first day on the job, big city market, I'm in a <laughs> helicopter ride. It's like, this is the coolest thing. And I'm being told, uh, your news anchors are Clyde and Dion. It's actually a man and a woman, Clyde and Dion. So you're gonna be tossing to them. Well, they'll be tossing to you, which is uh, a verbal uh, introduction. They'll say, hey, Dave's out, out there live, our newest reporter, Dave. And so I go, well, Clyde Dion here in, you know, Bloom, Bloomdale. I don't know where I was in Bloomfield or something in Indiana. <laughs> so I get, that's my first introduction to a big city market is a helicopter ride. It's like, oh, my gosh, this is it. This is the cool thing. I'm in the big leagues now, and I'm doing live reports all over the city or over the state. That same uh, TV station, ABC affiliate in Indianapolis, which is WRTV, I end up doing some live snow coverage at one of the universities, so sorry about that. We had a, an internet glitch there. Um, we're back, 
And uh, Dave, you were telling us about, I believe, snow. You were somewhere where there was some snow coming down at a college campus. Yeah, and I just happened to have a a big, big moment where they went to me live for a number of different reports for CNN, Weather Channel, somewhere in Washington, D.C. And it was just a thrill because at that point, I was two and a half years into my TV news career, and I had friends and family being able to see me all over the country and back home, which was really, really neat. And um, I thought I was on my way uh, to the big leagues at that point. And then I realized that I'm still young, got a lot to learn. I'm not as good as I thought I was. And uh, I was reminded of that by some of the veteran reporters. It's not that uh, it's not the most friendliest business um, when you're, you come in and you're young and you've got all this great potential. People want to put you in your place. And I got put in my place and that's fine. I, I needed that. And then um, after St. Louis, I moved after um, Indianapolis, I went to St. Louis back to Portland, other stations. Uh, but you asked about, you know, the, the opportunities of going to, you know, Iraq, to Haiti and, and those places. And I think that was, going to Iraq was the biggest eye opener and uh, reality check that what I did for a living had some great responsibility. And that was, you know, sharing people's stories, the stories of, you know, the men and women who really do, um, important things. And I was just a conduit to that. I was just the, the mechanism to share their information. And that was uh, just rewarding. And uh, I was there for two weeks by myself. It was something I had, I had strived to get. It was a one-man production, which I had plenty of experience doing, getting there. So I had no concerns. It was, you know, technologically, how can we broadcast live when I'm, I don't know, 13 hours behind or ahead of when I would go live? The first day, I didn't sleep for, I didn't have a sleep for like 72 hours. I remember talking to my news huh. news, news director saying, oh, you know, I've traveled from here to Kuwait, to Baghdad, to this holding station, to these, and then, you know, flying from here to there to try to find the guys I was going to stay with. It was the Washington Army National Guard. And, um, but I was wired. I was excited. And I had all this equipment. Nowadays, you can do everything with, you know, a small backpack or small duffel bag but i had two bags of stuff and anyhow that's crazy iraq was the biggest yeah so so you 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 were doing the whole thing both production and the uploading all by yourself yeah and and editing it was my first real time editing on what we what i edit on nowadays i didn't understand back then because i was as a reporter and anchor you know i'd edit some things tape to tape back in the day and not online, you know, not, you know, here on a computer or something, we had dedicated editors. So I'd go out and shoot the video and I wouldn't shoot the video. I would report, ask the questions, look at the video. And then someone else was a dedicated editor. In this case, I had to be taught by our chief photographer, how to edit with their software and, um, and then send it back, which is, it was a miracle just to get things back. I can't believe I can't believe it, it worked, but I was, you know, reporting live from Iraq in Baghdad, just, uh, to people back home. And it was, it was great just to tell stories through uh, their words. What that were the stories that you were telling? I was going one by one. You know, it was trying to localize something, you know, bigger on a global scale. And so I would talk to a medic. I would talk to a guy who had been over there or volunteered just briefly or uh, one of the women in, in the military, in, in the Army National Guard, trying to get different angles of what's interesting uh, and sharing what they're doing over there for us locally. So getting the local angle, even though the Washington Army National Guard would take people from all over Washington, I was trying to focus on the Spokane 
uh, regional area, Spokane, Idaho area uh, at this time. That was uh, in 2000, I think it was 2008, 2009, something like that when I was over there. Yeah. And that was, was that your last, last, because you're in Spokane now, and so that was your last agency or, or affiliate that you were with. Um, yes. And, and and so how did how did you link up with the World Triathlon Corporation? Because you started doing triathlons back in 1998 and got mm-hmm. into the culture, but when did you determine that, hey, there's an opportunity for me to make this my life and my livelihood? Well, I started doing more and more triathlons when I came here to Spokane. Uh, I actually was reporting live from the Ironman Coeur d'Alene, which is just like 40 miles right. uh, east of Spokane. And that was in 2007 is I recorded, I was live from uh, the finish line and I was, re- you know, interviewing athletes pre and, and post race. And I got a chance to interview a guy named Scott Rigsby. He was a double amputee and he was doing the race the first time in 2007. And I don't think he made it. I think he crashed, but he made it. Uh, he ended up making a different Ironman that year. So I was so inspired by that distance. You know, I've done triathlons, which are shorter distances, not the whole 2.4 miles, 112 miles of biking yep. in a marathon. I'd never done that before. Um, but I, so I was inspired to do the race. And so I kind of used that, that my platform as a news anchor or local guy who's doing a local race. So the following year, I did the race and kind of chronicled that and then I, I, was, I had an opportunity to interview local athletes so i was like oh i'm really in the scene now of this community of ironman athletes and then i did it again and um, was seeing more and more athletes join a, a local triathlon club and then through those connections i would go to more races and then i went to the ironman world championship which is in hawaii in 2009 with my triathlon club and from there i met somebody who was in production they're, the guy who my main contact or main uh, avenue into that world were uh, people who participated. And it was one of those guys who was on a specialized team, you know, a, an elite group of athletes under a umbrella. It was the Timex multi-sport team, which like, oh, this is awesome. I, I want to be a part of this elite group. Eventually I did. And through that affiliation, I would meet people. And and because of my broadcasting career, I kind of had a, a double double level influence you know, not only am I a TV person, I can give them media exposure, but I'm also an, a decent athlete. So that combination uh, got me connected to certain people in the Ironman world. And so I would do projects for them and eventually, luckily, got hired to try something that had never been tried before. And that was becoming an on-site reporter for Ironman by going to the events, doing athlete interviews, race coverage, and then post-race interviews. And was that kind of, and that was 2000. 11 ish was was that a little bit of not only because they didn't weren't really part of a network so they were kind of testing maybe on youtube and posting things all over places and that was was that kind of your introduction into maybe the presence of youtube because you had channels before that though um yeah i was trying to use that as a as my my leverage like hey i can put this on you i can make these uh, videos for your YouTube channel to give you more exposure more and spread your message more. And I can pump out, you know, high volumes of, of videos because I can do that more efficiently and I can do it all by myself, which made it uh, economical for them. And so I told him I can do this, that, and help you put on your channel. And because I knew how to somewhat not, uh, not monetize it, but, um, label it the right way to get them exposure, whether it's the titles, the tags, the thumbnails, and uh, that 
every once in a while a video would go, you know, do very well. And then I would also double post those on my own channel. And that's when my channel started, my endurance hour channel started. Uh, Cause I said, Hey, if I'm going to do this, can I also share it on my channel, which will give you even more reach, but I wanted it for my own channel selfishly. It's like, Hey, I did these, I went to these places and, <laughs> and did these interviews. I want these on my channel for, you know, my own archive, my own documentation. Yeah. You talked a little bit about that earlier um, where, you know, early on you're making videos, but you didn't really have a place to archive them. And YouTube is this amazing opportunity where even if it, even if you're just posting videos for fun, it's an archive um, that you can, you know, your kids can look back on and see different things and, and see you growing in a way that you might not have been able to do that before, unless you're plugging in VHSs and it's kind of not as on demand. Um, and so you know about your endurance hour channel you, you have one video over a million you have uh you know 8.99 million views there so it's grown very well for a channel um it yeah. does follow the same suit as almost every triathlon uh magazine and other medium there's a lot of swimming content on there because uh, i think that's the biggest yeah. fear part but you you do work well with i think wendy is her name she's yeah, on there my, doing... my coach yeah yeah, I, I, I like the content there. It's really, really great um, to watch now. So you start that one in 2011. And then in 2012, you start the Everyman Driver. And one of the biggest things that I, I so I went back, I watched your first 10 videos. And then I've watched, you know, your top videos, which you do have five videos over a million views, a couple that are really close there. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I noticed was, you know, from 2012 to now, cars have changed dramatically. Uh, the screen sizes you were talking about in your first video that the screen was huge and you know had all this you know this new technology of radar in there and I think it's all become standard technology and so you know what was the what was the goal with starting that channel itself the goal of this the channel was um that it was something i could do and possibly make a living at you know i met someone through triathlon ironically who had their own youtube channel with uh, triathlon-related content, and they saw they also had a automotive channel for content, and it was because of them I, I realized there was this world out there where they could they weren't making a living back then, but they were making money, and I wasn't making really money on my endurance hour channel, um, but the possibility of making money with cars, which was a, a global audience that reached that touched everybody, you know, during sports is very niche, you know, yeah, you know, you're going to just find certain people there, but cars, everyone has a car. And so I learned my, the ropes on how to do a car videos through this guy who happened to do triathlon. So we had that bond of triathlon. And then, so the purpose was to start the channel was I started the channel because he wasn't ready for, or wasn't willing to uh, take me on as a full-time member of his team. And so I was like, well, I need to, you know, he's paying me a few bucks under the table to make videos for his channel, which is great. It was basically as a, an internship, a paid internship on how to make car videos because it's a different type of storytelling or, yeah, absolutely. you know, product information. It's, you know, it's, they're walk-arounds, there's introduction, they're consumer-oriented things. It's not like, you know, you're not making a, a race video. Well, it's much more so, delicate uh, too because like what you do really well is, you can get very niche and then you're back into the same problem that you have with triathlon where the more detailed you get about certain parts of a car, the more people are going to drop off because they don't care where you keep it very broad. And, and like you said, like you kind of claim on your website is you want to make it 
as open and op- opportunistic to everyone, and you want it to not go over anyone's head. So I started to cut you off. Yeah. There, but yeah. It, it's very much different no, no. than what you were doing before. So you had to change your recipe, more or less. Sure. And that, that kind of draws on telling a, a TV news story in the simplest of terms and, you know, not getting, you know, like you said, too detailed and, and just giving kind of the bullet points in a way, uh, but making it consumer friendly, helpful information. And I, I always thought if I can just help you in your research process, you know, get you from internet before the dealership, watch my stuff, and then you'll have a better idea of what you want to buy. And hopefully I'm, I'm that middle, middle ground, that, that middle guy, you know, middleman to your car buying process. You do your research. Okay. I saw what he did. I saw, that's a great thing about YouTube is that, uh, there's, even though there's competition, I'm not competing. I'm just giving you another option. So all these other channels you may go to, we all may do the same Honda Accord, but you can watch all of us because you want to see the different takes, different perspectives, different opinions, features. It's like, okay, I like how this guy did it. Cool. I'm going to follow this channel. You can follow all of us. It's fine. Um, but hopefully after you've done your research of watching three videos on the same car, uh, yes, I'm going to buy that one. Or yes, I'm ready for the test, test drive now. And that's what I hope our videos as an automotive community is doing for people is taking the guesswork and and taking some of the uh, your research time cutting it in half or even more so yeah i think one thing about the automotive industry is um the con jp kind of brought, brought this up uh, with someone we're talking to it's kind of evergreen in the sense that you get the year make and model of that time so 2021 i don't know the electric ford that just came out right you could do that review and in five years from now, someone's going to start to look for that car because they're going to go and buy it used. And they want to know what were the features and benefits as it was new and how is that going to pertain to my daily life? So it's, it's really great that the content can stay evergreen. And I'm sure, have you seen that in your views that like, you know, videos of your, I forget what the first, like the Sequoia in 2012, has that become a popular video or has it stead, do those videos stay steady with views? Well, I can pull up my analytics and, and see like the, the you know what are the top ten or more videos, and it's, it's surprising that some videos will still get views that are five years old. And the cool thing about at least this topic, uh, and you say they are somewhat evergreen, that they still make money. And you know I'm in the I'm in the business of making money because it's a it's a career, so I'm able to continue making money on old videos because they are evergreen because they still have staying power and someone's going to look for it again. But if you do a video on something else that's a different topic, one and done, you're you don't have to watch it again. How to repair some plumbing in your house? I got it done once. I don't have to go back and watch it again necessarily. Not right. that person, but a person can come back and go, yeah, you're right. I forgot about the 2019 Honda passport how's it different than the 2021 let me go look back and i, I want to save money on a, a used car does it have everything it's oh it's a it's a carryover it hasn't changed in two years i'm gonna buy the 2019 versus the 2021 cool now i've done my comparison shopping and they watch it it's still popular still important has still has uh, validity for the viewers and i'm lucky i can still showcase that and it's a living archive a living library which still produces income it could be a dollar you know today that was a five-year-old video yeah i mean still it's still a pretty pretty unique part of the industry that you're in where you know even on the triathlon side like you said you could post a a race recap of coeur d'alene 2024 or 2020 you know people might go and watch that because they did the race or they were gonna do the race or they're doing the race next year but 
in 2023 or 2024, 2025, they're not necessarily going to want to go back and watch that race recap of that year. Unless, you know, obviously it's like something crazy happens and they want to watch that part of it. But yeah, it is an interesting, unique piece of the, the, the industry about car reviews. And so it is a pretty, Mm -hmm. when you started in 2012, it was much different than it was in the past three years, I think. And it might also be my perspective. So when you started doing car reviews, how was the industry itself? Were there a lot of people doing car reviews or were you still kind of new in the sense of posting car review videos? I was just trying to figure it out and I'm still trying to figure out and, and be original as possible. And that's one thing that I've, I'm trying to do now is this sounds funny. sounds funny. I don't try, I try not to watch other people's reviews. So I'm not uh, in, uh, influenced by what they're doing. Uh, there's a, a term that my wife was telling me about in this one book called blue ocean. I think it's where do what they're not doing. Yeah. Do what you do, do something different because if everyone does the same, then what's going to make you stand out. So I'm trying to do something different by uh, just doing my own thing. And I'm trying not to watch someone else's to be influenced by the style or uh, how organi- how they organize their videos. So I don't know if, if mine are stale because I'm not comparing it to anybody else's. Uh, in the beginning, I was definitely a follower and trying to, trying to figure it out. What is the formula? What, what are they showcasing? What's important to showcase? And I think you kind of have to do that in any any category at first to see what's working and then to find your voice. Uh, and it takes time. And luckily I had some, some of the, I had plenty of shortcuts that I could take because of my previous, you know, production experience or on camera experience. That part was easy for me. It's learning, uh, learning the, the topic, which is now important. And, and now I can draw on that experience of what nine years of doing car videos that I can say, Hey, I've done the, the, the MX five Miata, 16 videos of those already you know in different variations but right. i can go hey i did the kia optima back in 2012 i definitely can tell you from before and after how it's changed and i would recur to anybody who starts a channel is to keep hard drives of all your footage that way you can pull file footage of what you've done which then also gives you new content to create and i'm always trying to create different type of content whether they're lists whether they're comparisons and i can draw upon hey how here's the 2020 like right now i have the 2021 honda ridgeline uh there's the something called the black edition it's a trim level or it's a package option well i I put it into my video this week because i have it on my hard drive so i know other car channels have the hard drives you know just stacked and stacked and they can plug into the computer and go all right here's what it here's what it looked like last time compared to this time oh that's that that is a good way to do it I, i like the sentiment that you're saying do something different too You know, we talked to a skateboarder, John Hill. I don't know if you know who he is, but he very much turned me on to that idea of like kind of getting out of the box. And it it surprises me that so many people in this industry don't watch within their channel because they not because they don't want to watch car reviews. They don't want to watch those things, but they don't want to be manipulated in their own way. They want to continue their own brand and, and idea. And so how did you find your voice and your niche? What what do you think it is? Again, I'm still trying to figure it out, um, but it's, I'm trying to figure it out, even though it probably seems very similar to somebody else or they, they already have me figured out. Um, it's hard to break uh, the news reporter, news anchor presentation. Uh, my voice is the way it is now because it's been trained to be that way. You know, people I've, I've had people in my comment section, and I do read my comments, they'll say, oh, you, you, did you have a... Um, 
a background in sports broadcasting or you should have been in broadcasting or you sound like you did radio before and it's like well now you know yeah. i'm slowly showing some of my old stuff so uh this is really who i am i'm not faking it this my i'm kind of professional in my voice it's it's deep like this um with practice not on purpose yeah but i think I it is somewhat on purpose as well because i think that there's a connotation on the news that's the voice of the news right there that that kind of kind of yeah. it, it's been built up over years and years and years of people watching the news having that expectation and you just kind of fall, fell in the suite of that too and it it makes sense because it's a very easy to listen to voice and you don't want to have something you know whiny or crazy on the news because you might want to change the channel then which would defeat the purpose of drawing people in and if you have a style stick with your style don't yeah. be something you're not absolutely i was this way when i started it's not like i tried to be newsy and uh professional with this booming voice you know I, i'm not trying to be this this is who i am so if someone who comes in you gotta be you you can't <laughs> what's that line be yourself everyone else is taken you know you gotta just be you yeah don't try to be someone else and that's you can easily slip into that because you don't know what to do it's like oh that's what they're doing it works i'll be like them okay it's no longer working i'll be like this and slowly but surely you find your find who you are and you go down that path and i think i was so in the the mindset of being neutral to being fair and and saying here are the two sides you decide you know here's here's this pros and cons and you decide Luckily with this, I've been able to have an opinion and smile and, and not be all stuffy with wearing suits and ties and having my hair parted a certain way. I can be messy. I can wear shorts. I hate wearing pants. I hate wearing suits. I want to be comfortable. And I hope that the information um, doesn't get overshadowed by how casual I am, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that it also comes part of your style. And I think YouTube um, does a really good job of uh, rewarding kind of the differentiation that you build on your style. And, and sometimes it comes by chance. Sometimes it happens on purpose where, you know, you might make a video that is out of the norm for the car industry. And then all of a sudden that video is starting to get views and the ones that you're doing that, you know, the, the come back to the, the Ford pickup truck, everyone's going to post a video about that. You have to determine what yep. your style and, and it, and, and kind of differentiation is. And, YouTube sometimes just forces that hand and the people who see the change, they end up making that their style. And it's, it's definitely interesting. You're from my perspective of looking at your channel lists are something that I don't see typically. And I think that's something that drew me to you because it really makes sense. Like it's something that not everyone's doing, but when I go to your channel, I can kind of figure out what the list is and the, what are the top and the bottom and, one of the major ones that I really enjoyed is uh, depreciated cars um, mm. because I think right now used car market is hot and which luxury which luxury brands do you want to see? And at the same time, my wife just bought a car. I wanted to make sure that our car was not on that depreciation list because, crap, I should have watched that before we bought it, you know? But we didn't. luckily mm. we're not on there. So it, it is a good perspective mm. to see that you can say, hey, is this a good, this is a, there's two view, two views of it where you get two viewers, right? The ones who are like, I want to make sure the car I'm going to buy is not on this list. And then there's the ones that are saying, I want to get the best value. So what car should I buy off this list? And how many years off that list should I get? 
you know, four-year-old Cadillac Escalade, but stay away from the BMW X5 because there's maintenance issues after five years. Good, uh, good information in there for the viewer to see. So I like that. Um, and that's some of the thing that a person has to do with their channel is to be creative, to look for these lists or look for these topics and maybe even do their own research or look for something that can be repurposed or um, rewritten and shared in a certain way. And that's where that archive comes into play. Yeah. Depends on what your topic is. If you're comparing bicycles and you've done bicycles for many years, okay, you can do the top five of the last type five years, you know, just something they, I mean, people are big into tech. You know, if you if you've been collecting iPhones or watches or, or or phones in general, you probably have a bunch of them in your drawers. Well, that you could bring them up and show how technology has changed using what you already have to create new content and to be creative. And that's I kind of have to do that if I want to be for me. If I want to be competitive, if I want to be getting the views and earning dollars, I can't just sit back and hope it happens. I have to make it happen. Yeah, talk about earning views. So, you know. You're posting for nine years at this point on the every everyman car and everyman driver, sorry. And so under this name, what is it like for the first three years? How how long does it take you to hit that milestone of getting the plaque, 100,000 subscribers? And then when you get that, how does that feel? What's the validation like there? Well, it was uh, the first year... I had, uh, and I have my, my notes with me. Thank you for setting me up, Mike. Yeah. Is uh, five, million, 5 million views my first, I, I call technically 2013 my first year because 2012 was when I started the channel, but you know, I was just barely making videos as late in the year. Um, so I had 5 million views, you know, it wasn't a lot. I had 25,000 subscribers though, and that made sense because I'm brand new. And then it, rec- it told me, ah, this is a category where people care about and they're gonna follow. So I need to keep on making videos. The following year, I made 34,000 subscribers. So I hit over 50,000 subscribers in the first two years. Wow. And I doubled my views in the first. So the second year, I had 11.7 million views for that year. So from 5.2 to 11.7. So I'm on a good, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm moving up. So I'm great, cool. What do I do the next year? Uh, 15 million views for the year. And then 38,000 more subscribers. So, okay, we're still moving in the right direction. The money's not quite really doing anything yet. And... Not that I made a bad move, but I bet on myself. I left TV news right around the time I started this channel, right before I started this channel. I left TV news actually to start doing triathlon coverage, which there was no guarantee there was a job there. <laughs> I had to create a job. So I left a great paying job uh, for uncertainty, and it wasn't a good time. But I, it's, it's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to be happy doing something I wanted to do. So the fourth year, I think the fourth year, I hit the 100,000 subscriber mark and another 13 million view views but the money was still flat i was just real i mean it, was, it wasn't enough to live on uh, i can pay the bills but i can't do anything else and it stayed flat for the one two three four five straight years from 2014 to 2018 flat in terms of consistency i'm sorry consistently i was making you know 10 to 15 10 to 15 million views 20 or 25,000 new subscribers each year. So it was slow and the money was flat. It's like, oh my gosh, I got to, I got to start doing something here because if I don't make any money, I got to call this a hobby and find a real job. And luckily in 2019, I forget why, uh, but I broke through. I had 55,000 new subscribers, had 17 million views that year, and my income tripled. So wow. whatever I did that year was working. And then I knew that, okay, if I can, be consistent 
I'll be happy and not only am I paying my bills, but I'm also doing other things with the money. And that was the breakthrough year was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven years or so into the YouTube um, career, I made money, real money. It's, and that was 2019. It's still pretty crazy that, you know, 25,000 subscribers, 5 million views in your first full year of doing YouTube. You know, there's got to be hundreds and hundreds of millions of channels out there that can't break a thousand subscribers which is that benchmark number from youtube wasn't like that in 2012 um but you know so when you look back what is what is some advice to those who are starting their youtube channel that you could give them to say hey you know it's going to be a it's it's not a quick game right it's a long game no but but what what could you give a channel starting out some advice there well definitely consistency and throwing something out there, you know, you throw something on the wall, see if it sticks, but you, you can't get better unless you try. And people are afraid to put something out there, but put something out there and don't look at it. Put something out there again, don't look at it. Anything you, you do is a way to gauge yourself to see if you, where you can get better. Hey, don't, you're not gonna know if you're gonna get better unless you try, try. All right. That was good. That didn't work. All right, let's work on what's strong. Work on my strengths, not my weaknesses. Okay, that worked. All right, do more of that. Okay, I got some good responses there. Uh, that video fell flat. How come? I don't know. Let's try a new one. All right, try a new one. Keep trying. Every day, try something new and then look at your numbers. I would say, I remember someone telling me that at a press event, they were asking a similar question of, hey, we're, we're starting our new channel. What do I do? New content every day, no matter what new content every day, get your, and I have it 10,000 hours in, get your experience, get your reps, like anything repetition, whether you're shooting baskets at a free throw or you're throwing darts repetition over and over again until it becomes easy. And I think that's uh, what you got to do and be patient, be super patient. It's not about, you know, it's not about the sprint. It's, it's, about the marathon that's such a cliche but (laughs) in youtube it seems to be the case it depends also on your your topic i happen to have a topic that reached not only the u.s but globally if you you get something that's you start gardening that would be a big audience it all depends on the 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 language of the person you're you know talking to but cars can reach any language even though they're just watching they can't understand you but they have closed caption nowadays so consistency patience try new things and um, give it your best. Yeah. I, I think that that's great advice is, is consistency. And I think setting the goal of like, not necessarily wanting to get a number, but just doing, I want to set, I want to do 10 videos a month or five videos a month or two videos a month or once a week or whatever it is, um, set that goal and go after it. And so, you know, one thing you were talking about with cars is, so you, you had just stumbled upon a friend who had a triathlon channel and a car channel. Were you a car mm-hmm. guy before you started this channel? Did you enjoy cars or did you see this as an opportunity more so? It wasn't uh, – no, I, I really wasn't into cars growing up. I was obviously into sports and you know that kind of thing and fitness. Uh, cars was – it wasn't necessarily the topic as it was the production that interests me how can I tell this story in my own way? How can I tell the car story? So it's all storytelling. That's mm-hmm. what TV, TV news to me was a storytelling platform. Uh, even, even back in the educational days, the homework helpline is 
you know, how can we present this in a story format? And that's why we had themes on our, our nights of the homework helpline. But it's, it's, it's all storytelling. How can I tell the story of the car? You know, here's, here's this part of it. Here's that part of it. Here's at the end, there it is. And that's so they say anything. Um, so no, when I got the car, it's like, how can I make this car interesting? How can I share the information about this car to somebody in a interesting, helpful, uh, productive way? And so it wasn't, it was just happened to be the topic. I, it wasn't the car. It wasn't. And then I started appreciating cars and learning more about the cars themselves. That, and, um, yeah, that's very, sorry, my camera died. Um, it's very interesting though, that it's, I think cars especially have a great story to tell. And not if it's from any direction that you look at them from, it's like the production of the car in the physical sense of like how it's made and the development of the car. And then the story that you're kind of telling in a, in a great way is how you as a user are going to use that car and what's behind that and the features and the benefits and how it's going to affect your life. If it's good for your kids and your family and what are you going to use this vehicle for? And is it a fun vehicle? Is it some, so there's so many stories kind of woven together and I like that. So it's all about that storytelling. So let's go back to way before you started YouTube you liked movies um, and the whole art of either going to the theater or going to to Hollywood or Blockbuster. Um, where where did you determine that you were going to you, you were good at telling stories? When what what point did you find that you know an appealing thing? Oh, maybe one of those first video those uh, projects in high school by adding music by adding special effects. The, the story, how can I make this interesting and by all those different elements, using people in action sequences, using silence, uh, again, using music, uh, using scenery. And then that storytelling translated really well into TV news because I always felt like I was telling stories through people's words. And that was the art. It was the art of how can I have this person talk? I do a little, some sort of segue into someone else talking segue into someone else talking at the end of it, you understand the big picture. So I had to learn how to ask the right questions. You can't just like, you know, soundbite, soundbite, soundbite. And then you have a story. It's having to ask the right questions, putting in a, in a cohesive order. And that's the same thing with with the cars is I want to make it an art form. If I can, depends on how busy I am, you know, <laughs> whether it's going to be the, the, the artistic shot, the choreography of the, of uh, the landscape with the slow pushes in the pulls out, pull outs, the music, the transitions, it's all part of the process. And I really like that the most. And I, I've told people before, you know, the editing sometimes can, well, editing a lot of the time can make or break the video. I can have a great, you know, great shots, but if they don't put it in the right order, and that's, that's the story. If they don't put it in the right order, then it's disjointed. If I don't say the right thing at the right time, yeah, it doesn't sound so, with the wrong music in or no music, then it's just my voice. It doesn't, it sounds hollow or it sounds, too newsy yeah and I, I i do fall into that because i'm just telling here's sometimes it's, it is factual here's this here's the the car now it's out here's what it has to offer blah 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 stat 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 feature 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 there it is because that's some cars that's what they they're that's what they're meant for, meant for some if i have a time to hang out with them for a week then i can hopefully tell them more about it on how practical it is to that person and showcase things and that's when you know it's again i'm seeing it in my head 
okay, if I do the intro, what's the intro going to look like? Do I have some footage over that? Can I have some cool scenery? Will the music put a certain mood to it? All these elements of the storytelling process. And so Cars just gave me a, a different topic to do it in. And now it's just what I, it's what I do. I, I enjoy the cars. I'm not an engineer by any means. I'm not a mechanic. I just, I enjoy the cars for what they had to offer. And I really like putting videos together about them. And so when we're talking about your channel with the cars, you're part of the, the, the press fleet. So you have cars that access to you. Um, are you, how, how far in advance are you planning the usage of the cars? How far in advance do you plan your videos? Like, do you have a map of what cars are going to be on your hit list? Is it, you know, what, how do you, how do you kind of plan that whole structure of what you're going to post? Sometimes I'll get a, a, a list, maybe five, eight weeks in advance of which cars are coming. Uh, and then I know what I'm doing uh, for that car. And then I'm thinking, how many videos can I make with that car? I always make a video with a car that I get. Uh, it's it's not required, although it's understood that you're going to do something. You're going to do something with the car to share it. Right. I just happen to be the YouTube guy, even though I have other platforms, which I double post on or share on Instagram, Facebook, website, that kind of thing. Uh, so I know what cars I'm going to do. And I think, okay, can I make two videos out of this? Can I make three? Do I, should I do a, a first impressions walk around? Okay. I can do that. Depends if it's new, brand new. Yes. That'll make sense. Oh, it's cool. I, I've never seen this before. So you get my reaction to it. First person or handheld selfie vlog style. Uh, there could be comparisons. It could be a zero to 60 test, which I like doing with certain cars. So I kind of plan out in my head. Can I use that car? If I have something that's similar, maybe I can draw from my footage and my hard drive comparison cars, like this one versus that one, if I, if I want to do that. Uh, and then I'm always just watching the news lines, um, the news feeds of what's making news today. If I don't have access to it, for automotive journalists, we have access to media footage and news releases. So I can draw from those every day. So that's why I'm able to do a new car video every day. And that's my goal for last year, I did a new video every day on average. This year, I'm ahead of schedule on a new video every day on average. And that's what I want to do uh, to get my stuff out there. And, I, and again, you talk about advice for somebody. The more you can put your brand out there, the more you put your content out there, the more likely you'll be found, discovered. And if it's monetized, you have more inventory to, be, uh, to make money on. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, great way to look at it, too. I, it's the, you're, you're casting a broader net. Um, and hoping, you know, something sticks there. And I think that's a lot of YouTube. Like, if you're only posting one video a year and you, it better be the best video that you can do, right? You can do one video a week and still be super successful. People do that right now and mm -hmm. out-earn me big time. Uh, but they'll they'll put, go a lot more in-depth, too. Yeah. And I'm not sure if in-depth, super in-depth, like a 25-minute video on a single car is my style. Because I came from TV news where we're doing new videos every day or, or new, st new stories every single day. I'm used to it. I'm programmed and trained to produce high quality every single day. Whereas someone else, they need a week, which is great. They put a lot more time and research into it and more graphics. But I can do more at a high quality level than other people can because of my experience. Yeah, 15 years of doing that almost every day and coming up with new content, you have you have such a fundamental base of that where not necessarily, you know, some of the other guys, bigger brands out there might have 
they might have more of a written background or something like that where they're posting one sure. story a month and it's the they write an in-depth yep. script and all those kind of things where your content is you, you were part of this kind of news group and it doesn't matter if it was now or 15 years ago it's you got to be quick on news because the second it's not relevant no one's coming to your channel they're not watching your affiliate right so yeah and now and i can do that because i'm i know how to do that right it's easy it's like you go out and play golf you can just swing the golf club casually because you've been doing it for you know 20 years shoot baskets just pick up a ball and put it in the basketball hoop you can do that because you've done it before and now i've got nine years and a couple thousand videos that said that tells my audience i know what i'm doing i've done it a lot I can do it again on a regular basis. And it's not because it's, um, this is what I do now, you know, this is what I do. It's not like it's, if you, you find out what you do at work, is it easy for you? I hope so, because that's what you do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's a very small, (laughs) small example, but a person could probably make a, you know, you go to a coffee, coffee stand, they make a coffee in their sleep or a bartender can make a drink in their sleep. They just, that's, it's repetition. And the more you do it, the easier it gets. No matter what topic it is, if you're doing beauty blogging, vlogging, or you're doing gaming, after a while you you're just you just do it. It's, you don't think about it in anything. When did you? Yeah. When did you set the goal for every day? When when was that like your goal to post a video every day and get that repetition? Uh, maybe a, a couple of years ago, and and then. You know, it's, it's more of an experiment. You know, I, I tried to see if it again. It's it's about monetizing. Does it make a difference on the analytics? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that I'm also te- I'm also I'm always testing, and that's why I like the Tube Buddy is a, a thing yeah. that people use on YouTube. You see that okay? If I did it every day, do the numbers change? If I go once a week, do the numbers change? If I don't post anything, how does it impact? You know, does the does the the needle go up or down? So I'm trying new things, and I figure if I can't do you know, if I'm not, not going to do a one video in depth for 25 minutes, if I do something on a regular basis, maybe those views will count up like one video would do for one of the guys who I compete, not compete against, but who someone else in the area. So if I do seven videos a week and that generates, you know, a hundred thousand views and one person does one video gets a hundred thousand views. Okay, fine. But now I've got six more videos out there that you may come across. Yeah. You know, and then so my fit- kind of a numbers game. Yeah, and those six videos might fit exactly what you're looking for at that time. And now instead of just watching a single video, they've ended up watching four videos on your channel, which is a great analytic that YouTube wants you to do is the pass-through. So they don't want you to just get them to come and watch a single 25-minute video. They want you to watch six eight-minute videos. That's kind of the YouTube goal right now. And there's other ways. It's not the only – I mean, this is another YouTube strategy. It's not the only source of income. The more videos I have out there, there's also, and people do this, you know, whether they have affiliate links mm-hmm. or they have a sponsored video and that sponsored video might have, uh, let's say you get, um, uh, I don't know, a, a tire company to sponsor you. They, they sponsor 10 videos and they want to get views and you know, they want to get those views and they see that you're con- continuing to get views on their videos. Sweet. Maybe they'll pay you more on, based on how many views you get. So if you have an affiliate below that, they can see those numbers. If I have an affiliate and people do this on Amazon, uh, other channels even car channels like, Hey, buy these products that I featured in this video, which I've done before, like on, you know, if it's an accessory, could be a baby monitor, a a car seat, it could be a a cargo net. I'll buy things personally off Amazon, use it as a product demo, 
and then I'll get a little, you know, a dollar from that <laughs> yeah. product over time. But that adds up. So you have more than one source of revenue. And again, it doesn't have to do with cars. You could do any kind of product review and make a uh, YouTube channel out of it and make, you know, double dip on the the income, one from YouTube, one from an affiliate. Yeah. So that that's another one of my strategies is the more videos I have out there that have affiliate links to them or another, another source of revenue, great. That's how, that's why I'm not only banking on YouTube income, it's elsewhere. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, they say. Yeah, diversify. Yeah, and it makes, that's right. what they tell you in anything if you're investing in stocks or if you're investing in, even even in just a general work, if you're marketing or sales, don't go after the same category. Diversify who you're working with and what you're going after. And so, so with someone who is so focused in, you know, your channel, but you also have three other channels that you manage and maintain. So how do you, where do you, how do you split the pie? How do you determine when you're going to focus on, you know, the endurance hour or, uh, iron, iron man darts or crafty <laughs> ginger, you know, the other two channels that you have, which we didn't even talk about crafty ginger. It's about to pass a hundred thousand subscribers. Congratulations in advance. You know, you, you have, these these four channels that are very 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 well watched so how do you determine where you're going to post and when you're going to post to grow each one well the everyman driver is priority and uh actually i have uh two dozen almost 30 videos in the queue already pre-produced for my car channel so i cannot make another video for a month and i'll, I'll have a new video every day so i've done some legwork ahead of time uh but that's my main main focus is that channel other ones are hobby channels, are fun channels that, you know, I'll do things, I'll batch record, you know, I'll record multiple, like the darts thing, it's just for fun. I'll record a number of games at once and then I'll edit them and upload them. The endurance channel, uh, similar with my, my partner, my coaching partner, we'll make videos together or she'll make a, a, a bunch of videos, send them to me, I'll edit and upload them. Uh, the, the crafting channel, uh, similar, it's about availability of the host and we work together, we'll make something, we'll post it. Uh, it's, it's, it's when it's available and it's not, it's not a, it's not a chore. It's fun. Yeah. And I think that's part of what you want to do with YouTube and you always want to make it fun and make it not necessarily a job, but you also have to think of it as this is an income stream. (laughs) I've got a, I can't just, you know, casually post or else you're never going to get anywhere. So, well, I appreciate that, that, concept and and thought process into not only how you choose and when you post and how you got here is a it's a very interesting story and so um the only other question that i have for you would be we talked about what you don't watch on youtube but what are you watching on youtube and how do you find enjoyment through youtube today when you have time you know obviously you have two young kids mm-hmm. you have four channels <laughs> that you're in charge of uh so what do you watch on youtube uh I got a variety of interests. Uh, I love the UFC. I love a guy named Ryan George, who does uh, he does uh, pitch meetings on YouTube, which is hilarious. He's in home cell. He's he talks to himself as if he's pitching a movie, old movies. And I've used his uh, phrases in my videos. Uh, it's a uh, it's um a super easy, barely in, an inconvenience. So Ryan George is hilarious. Um, I love uh, Screen Rant is a channel I like to follow. They do uh, everything that's wrong with a certain movie. It's all comedy and dumb based. But since I love movies, I love history of movies. I'll watch behind the scenes of uh, 
movies. I'll even watch when you know, Games of Thrones came out. I'll watch the recap of what uh, these Easter eggs that are in some of these movies. Same thing with Easter eggs in uh, movie trailers. I just, you know, I'm a movie buff and I, I love those things. I'll watch comedy. I'll watch bloopers. I'll watch old Seinfeld bloopers or New Girl or uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I, just certain things are just mindless. But then I'll, I'll watch something like Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know, I'll, I'll get into a a space or astrophysics physics physics um, wormhole, and I'll start wormhole. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pun intended. <laughs> yeah, rabbit hole, and I'll start watching <laughs> these things because it, it's just educational. A TED Talk, something like that, or Elon Musk. I mean, uh, people who are successful, motivational things. Um, sometimes sports stuff. I, I watch. Almost any every NFL football game last year I watched on YouTube because they're down in, in the condensed into ten to twelve minute uh, games. It's like I, I love YouTube. It's I would work for YouTube. I actually do work for YouTube. I don't know. I, I watch everything. Those are the kind of things I watch for fun. Wow, that's good. I, I like that idea because I'm not a big football person, but like it is like watching uh, I don't know what the Red Zone or something like that. But you don't have to sit there yeah. for ten hours on a Saturday and do it. You can uh, here's the Red Zone in five minutes. Sports Center at its best. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Dave, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in and learning a little bit about how Dave found himself on YouTube, which makes total sense at this point. I, I mean, I it, it, it's obvious there. And I wish you uh, all of the success in the world. And I can't wait to see that uh, next plaque arrive at your house. And I'm going to guess it's going to be the, the Crafty Ginger will be the first one. But I, I don't see a million subscribers out of any reach for you. So I uh, appreciate the time and uh, everything's in the, uh, the show notes below. So thank you, Michael. Appreciate your time too. Hey guys, it's Mike. Thanks so much for listening today. We had so much fun recording this podcast and we can't wait for the next episode. Check out our Instagram channel to find out who the next guest is going to be and submit your questions so you can get featured on the show. While you're at it, why not subscribe to our YouTube channel and watch some of the podcasts that we have available. Thanks so much, and we can't wait for the next episode.